The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I am your illustrious host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy, the my personal assistant, Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Oh, my gosh, you were so nice to me just now. See, I'm trying. Well, no, no, nobody <gasps> understands how you got into this. So you started off as my PA. and Yeah, yeah well, we kind of started as friends. Right, and then PA. Yeah, and then the PA, yeah, a little bit. And yeah. then you and I were talking, and uh, I'm like, hey, man, I want to start doing some, you know, like, a, I have two ideas for a podcast, one being the Scotty and Squatch show, because I call you Squatch, yeah. but the other one, I want to do something about serial killers. You said, holy shit, I've always wanted to do one about serial killers. Yeah. I, just never, I didn't have the equipment or the know-how how to do it. Yeah, I've always wanted to talk about it with anybody who would listen. <laughs> right, and then we wound up here yeah. as, you know, as exactly. partners. Exactly. The hardest one, the hardest working. Sasquatch and show business right across from that's me. That's right. That's right. You right. know, and like I was telling Keith today, it's like, you know, I joke around because he asked me what I do. It's like, this is it. I'm I'm Scott's slave. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all. <laughs> so I posted this on Facebook, boys and girls, so you all knew what was happening. We are doing the story of Todd Cohep today. And then later on, uh, it might be in the next few weeks, we, will, we should have Todd on the phone with us to That's do an right. actual interview. Yes. But we wanted to go over everything that the media had said um, and what's been reported on him and then get his take on it once we get him on. Because, uh, after all, unlike some of our competitors, we are after actually the truth. We're not just yeah. regurgitating crap that we see on Murderpedia right. or Wikipedia. Or- Especially Wikipedia, because you see that so often. It's like a lot of the podcasts I've heard, like, it's really... I mean, it is, I hate to disparage our competitors because that's not what I want to do. It's just I wish they would strive to be better. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, well, especially when some it comes of them just will read just Wikipedia. Remember, like, Keith, Keith Jefferson, Jefferson killed five thousand people or something like <laughs> hundred and eighty-five. Yeah, when, yeah. That's just it's ridiculous. Insane. All right, <laughs> let's get into the wonderful story of Todd Cohab. Oh. Woo! Get back over there. NASCAR. NASCAR. Okay, yeah, this one, I'll tell you what. Um, I wanted to feature this case for a while. Um, however, we just never got around to it. until. And then when we interviewed Briar Mitchell, the author of Serial Killers Then and Now, we actually touched on this case briefly, and I became more intrigued by what she had told us about him. So it's like, you know what? I have to sit down and do it. And well, this plus, is the case of Todd Christopher Cole. Plus, I want to, I, I got to give Briar Mitchell, the author, a shout out. By the way, she's if you, awesome. If you have not read her book yet, Serial Killers yes. Then and Now, you do owe it. it to yourself yeah. to do it. But she's the one, like, you know, like when her and I first started talking, she's the one who got me in contact with Dennis Rader, for example, the right, PTK right. killer. And Dennis and I uh, now have a good relationship where we're, we're talking back and forth and. And everything like that. Um, and then she uh, got me into contact with, with Todd Kohlhepp. Right. You know, she's been really helping out a lot and spearheading. Wonderful woman. Wonderful. Well, and I think a lot of this is because her, she has the same agenda that we do when she wrote her book is to put a personal edge, you know, like show serial killers as people. Because they aren't all monsters. They weren't always monsters. Right. They, they did they monstrous did mo- things. Exactly what I was going to say. They did monstrous things that are, you know, we do not condone. We do not, you know, like excuse their behavior or anything. 
Um, however, they were a person before they committed the murders, and they're a person afterwards. You know, they aren't these just monstrous people like Freddy Kruegers or anything. You know what I mean? Which is right. a lot of people think that's what they are. Well, and that that's why a lot of people, you know, sit there and, and say things, uh, especially to me. Like, How can you go face to face into a prison with a serial killer? You want to know? Even if they were even if they were not in prison, I wouldn't be afraid for several reasons. Number one, you have victim pool. Yeah. And I and I've said this before. Nobody is saying I want to murder fat, bald, freaking musicians. Um, but the second part is I have on a daily basis. You <laughs> you're like, I am going to have to kill my boss today. That's, That's right. To, there's going to be a, I'm, I'm the next episode. That's what I am. <laughs> no, but no. Um, but yeah, they're. They were people before. Okay, let's take the dreaded BTK killer. Right. Okay. Everybody focuses on Dennis's uh, horrendous crimes, which were they were they, they were, were sexually motivated. Yes. They um, it's for sexual gratification, and it, it, he was living out his fantasies. But if you take away the horrendous acts, mm-hmm. this was a normal, upstanding guy. He was, and he was also facing. I mean. And we talked about it with Briar. Dennis Rader literally thought he was possessed by a demon. Yeah. So it's like that's what you that's what you don't hear in the media. And you have to understand that the, the mental health system of the time. I know exactly. Yes, he was he wasn't busted until the two thousands. However, he committed his crime in the seventies and eighties, right? In the golden age of serial killing. Oh yeah. And so it's like. Yeah, so it's like, you look at all this, and it's like, but the media doesn't really talk about that. Because I always thought when he was talking about Factor X, it was a gene that he thought all right. sexual sadists had. No, it's his Factor X was a demon that he thought was possessing him. Right, I found that out by actually talking to Dennis. Oh, I found that out by talking to Briar. <laughs> when I say talking, just uh, right. to be upfront, yeah. on, we, we actually, we email back and forth. But right. Dennis is having me register, make sure my register... I registered my phone number with IC Solutions, which it already is. Right. Um, I don't know if I have to, if I have to re-register it just for him. I but. think you have to add the inmate, the state the inmate's in. Oh, okay. I think. I'll have you look into that because yeah. you, you know that system better than me. Yeah. But, um, you know, and then him and I can physically talk on the phone, which would be wonderful. Right. You know, uh, so far, I'm... But I enjoy the conversations with most of our serial killers, including the, the, the texts back, or the, the messages back and forth with me and Todd Kohep. Um, right. Because with him, it's just two good old boys talking. Well, yeah, because he's from the South. He is. He, he's South Carolina. So yeah. that's just that, that's just well, right next he door. He was born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That explains a lot, though. <laughs> you know, the gator came out and saw its shadow, so I mean six more months of, of Florida. There you go. <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> but, yeah. All right, so let's talk about Todd, man. Yeah. So anyways, according to the reports I found, he murdered at least seven people from 2003 through 2016 in South Carolina. However, he's most infamous for holding a girl captive in a storage container on his property. Now, through my research, I discovered he raped at least one woman and he claimed to have more victims out there. Better. Lots. Okay. But here's the bizarre thing. At first, I found a lot of information about Todd's known crimes. However, you know me, I don't stop at the surface. I try to find as much information as I can so I can give you a broader picture. How, and it's like the deeper I dug, I kept coming across something that was really weird to me. It's like, what? But he's known as the Amazon review killer. I will get into that later because 
I, I'm demented. And Him I and I just funny. talked about that via uh, email. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was laughing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hope he didn't reveal to you one of the ones that I wanted to, like, get your raw No, no, no. He, okay. he didn't. Him and I just talked. And one thing that he had said, and he'll reiterate this probably when he gets on the show, is that the the media and the police took this as somebody taunting the cops. And he goes, no, it's, it was a guy having a few drinks who was just having some fun See, on him, which I've done. I was going to say, I will get into that in a little bit because I actually touch on that. Um, okay. So basically, it was I'm, – I'm sorry. I'll tell you right now. I laugh. I laugh my ass off when I read them. But, you know, here we go. Todd Christopher Colette was actually born Todd Christopher Samsel in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on March 7th, 1971. So he's roughly our age. However, he lived in Georgia in South Carolina, like that, for most of his life. As I was researching his early years, I discovered he had a childhood like one would expect to see with someone convicted of serial murder. When he was two years old, his parents separated and divorced. His mother, Regina Tag, or I think it's Tag, T-A-G-U-E, wound up getting full custody of him. And in 1976, she married for a second time to a guy by the name of Carl Kolop, who actually adopted uh, Todd. And, um, you know, so, but according to a psychiatrist who evaluated him later, Todd and Carl had somewhat of a, quote, unhealthy relationship with each other. He often said that he would rather live with his real father, even though they hadn't had contact for approximately eight years. It's also said that Todd had an issue with the Boy Scouts. They kicked him out because of behavioral issues he was having. I read some articles that said during the time he was living with his mother and stepfather, his grandfather was physically abusive. Apparently, the old man would beat him severely numerous times and at least one of those times using a cattle prod, which, if those reports are true, would explain this next part. I've had to pay so much extra for that, just knowing that I can get it for... <laughs> just like I found out another interesting statistic. Go. That in the United States, mm-hmm. there are hundreds of thousands of battered women. And I've been eating mine plain this whole time. I forget you. <laughs> Breaks my heart. If I'd only known. <laughs> Deep fried in butter. <laughs> mm, tasty. <laughs> I call so, them tenderized myself. Anyways, okay. so so if if his if his grandfather beat him that often and you know used you know what I mean, then I can understand this next part. Reports indicate that he was a disturbing young child. From as early as preschool, he was overly aggressive with his classmates. As he got older, it said that he bullied other students in school. For instance, he would steal their homework and burn it. That puts a whole new spin on the classic excuse, the dog ate my homework. Because uh-huh. the you can imagine going to school and saying, um, excuse me, where's your homework? Uh, Todd burned it. No, <laughs> that wouldn't fly in my school. When he was nine years old, his mother actually started taking him to see a counselor. Around that time, people said that he had a, quote, explosive temper, and he had become preoccupied with sexual content. Although he didn't elaborate on that, I'm assuming the reports were referring to pornography. Todd also began exhibiting one of the three sides of the McDonald triad, and just to refresh your memory, the McDonald triad states that when a child wets their bed, starts fires, or are cruel to animals, the chances they will become a serial killer later in life are increased. 
Todd mistreated animals, according to the reports I found. For instance, he it said that he once killed his goldfish by putting bleach in its tank. I want everybody to remember the goldfish story, by the way, because that's going to play into what yeah, he is on. Gonna, the yeah, I was going to say, we'll talk about that with him because I know that we brought this up with him. Now, some reports I read said that he shot a dog in the street with his BB gun. Yet a few, a couple of other reports said that it was a gun and didn't specify what type. So it made it sound like it was like a pistol or something. It was a rocket launcher. <laughs> Grenade. The uh, the dog's name was Osama bin Barkin. <laughs> Osama, Osama, you've been barking way too much. Yep. <laughs> now... Todd's f- father later told the authorities that the only emotion he thought uh, Todd was capable of feeling was anger. On the flip side, his mother told the detectives her son was, quote, not a monster. With those contrasting descriptions of Todd's behavior, it's hard to know which one is more accurate. Heather, I know this. Mothers tend to downplay their child's adverse behavior as their way of helping and protecting them. Now, I discovered that Todd was an inpatient at a psychiatric facility in Georgia for three and a half months because he wasn't able to interact with other children appropriately. Therefore, I would venture to say there's probably more truth in his father's statements than his mother's, and I get into that a little bit later, too. In 1983, when Todd was 12, his mother and stepfather Carl split up. After that, he moved to Arizona to live with his birth father. Um... And then shortly after he moved in with his dad, he changed his last he changed his last name back from Colehep, from my understanding. I, don't, I mean, it's really weird because it's like I had conflicting things that Colehep was his dad's last name and he changed it to that. And so um, I actually I can clear that up. OK, go ahead. OK, so here's the thing is his stepdad's last name. His, his stepdad's name was Carl Colehep. OK, so Carl adopted. Right. I said um, that at the beginning. Todd, right? right. So that's why he changed his name to Colehep. Right, and it, it that that has always been his name. I it, Todd didn't mention anything to me about changing it back to his okay, former name. Well, see, or and that's like what that. I was trying to get into because some reports said that his real dad's last name was Colehep, and he changed it when he moved out there. No, so I was a little confused with that part. So, and and him and his stepfather Carl did have a very tumultuous relationship. <laughs> well, not tumultuous, but um, uh, it, it uh, wasn't healthy. Yeah, I can you know I I kind of believe that. Um, so anyways, it, this, um, volatile, appara- I think that's a better word, volatile. Yeah, that could be a better word. Apparently Todd's biological father, um, might not have been such a positive influence on him. Now, before you judge me, let me explain what I mean. The, this older man passed along his hobby of collecting various weapons. That in itself is not the negative influence I'm talking about. But apparently, he also taught his pubescent son, which we all know is like very influential time, to blow things up and make bombs. Okay, that is just hillbilly shit. Okay, no, oh, I'm but they stop. lived in Arizona. No, 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 no. Stop right there. Now his, his papa is from the south. Okay, true that. That is just regular hillbilly things. Y'all out here don't understand that. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna help you guys out. I'm gonna educate you. It's boring. <laughs> when you're in the rural south, okay? Boring. So you do stupid crap. And one of those things is blowing crap up. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that it's right, but you I ain't just saying do it's it. wrong. <laughs> All right? So let, let, let's not sit there and go, oh, he blew things up. That's what made him. No, it's... You, right. And you do things as a teenager, you know, being pubescent and pretty pubescent. 
to occupy your time. But so I'm thinking that the reports are like, it's like, okay, but not only did Todd do it, but the father encouraged it. Well, yeah, because his dad was probably bored as shit, too. <laughs> I was going to say, because I know we, I mean, I grew up in rural Iowa where nothing happens. And, um, yeah, we would do stupid stuff, but our parents wouldn't encourage it. <laughs> you want to you know why y'all were afraid to do stupid southern things? Because y'all get way worse winters than they do in Georgia, Florida, South Carolina. That's true. Like that. And you're afraid your mom and dad would be like, no, you're sleeping outside. That's right. And That's you're right. Like, you're like, hell no. Hells to the nose. There's polar bears looking at our weather, you know, sitting there going, can I get a, can I get a jacket? <laughs> like, we're, we're at the it zoo. It gets cold. Why don't y'all turn a heater on in our pen because <laughs> that shit's cold and we're yeah. polar bears. <laughs> yeah. So even though they shared this bond, they didn't really develop a close relationship either, mainly because his father was rarely around. He chose instead to spend most of his free time with several women. As a result, he often told his mother, Todd often told his mother that he wanted to go stay with her again. However, according to the reports, she would give him several excuses why she couldn't take him back. Granted, I don't know what excuses she came up with to prolong his stay with his father. They could have been valid reasons. For instance, perhaps she wasn't in a position financially to support them both. Perhaps her living situation wasn't suitable to bring in a teenage boy. However, the fact that she continually came up with one excuse after another tells me she was most likely as concerned about her son's behavior as everyone else in his life at that time. Or. Okay. I see. You said that all sarcastic. Never mind. No, I'm waiting. Fucker. No, maybe she was very hyper aware of her mental state. Oh. And she wasn't emotionally capable that could be of too. taking that on me, you know, which at right. that time maybe could have been a rarity. But um, maybe she just wasn't emotionally able to handle that kind of stress. Now, it sucks because it's your kid. Exactly. But still. But then we all, we all know that somebody who cannot, should never have been a parent, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm one of them. I know. No, I'm kidding. I am a bad influence on... I'm The devil won't even hang out with me. That's true. You are a bad influence on children. And everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, we, we both know somebody who will not go to Vegas with you. I know, bastard. <laughs> makes, makes me sad because I want to go to Vegas with all y'all, but no, no, he won't. <laughs> I want to drag a buddy of mine with me, and he keeps on saying, no, you know what will happen? We're going to get arrested, and I tell him the same thing. I have attorneys for a reason. <laughs> we'll spend maybe a day, maybe two days in, in, in jail if we happen to get arrested. That's right. Tops. Tops. Two days. Tops. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> no. Help a brother out. Right? So when Todd was 15 years old in Tempe, Arizona, when he abducted a 14-year-old girl on November 25th, 1986, he forced her to go with, it, go with him by using a 22 caliber handgun as a threat. He then took her to his house, covered her mouth with tape, and bound her arms and legs before he raped her. When he was finished, he walked her back to her house and let her go. However, he did tell her, if you report this to anybody, I'm going to come back and murder your kid, your siblings, your brothers and sisters. Maybe her premier brothers and sisters were little assholes. Right. However, she reported the assault and Todd was arrested and charged with kidnapping, committing a dangerous crime against children, and sexual assault. The following year, he accepted a plea bargain. By pleading guilty to kidnapping, the other two charges were dismissed. The judge sentenced him to a 15-year prison term, and he was to register as a sex offender upon his release. Now, 
According to the original court report, Todd was given a psychological evaluation, which reported he had suffered from borderline personality disorder. Unlike back in the mid to late 1980s, today there are many diagnosable mental health disorders. However, I know that knowing the difference between all of them can be a little confusing, especially since some of them display similar symptoms. Let me explain what I mean, and I'll give you more information about the bipolar disorder itself, BP, BPD. Now, for instance, when I was in my early 30s, I began having severe emotional issues. My moods were all over the place, and I go. it got to a point where I didn't feel like I had a purpose for existing. So when I started having thoughts of suicide, I sought the help of a psychiatrist. Initially, they diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder. However, when the medications they gave me weren't working, they was like, oh, maybe you actually have bipolar too, right? Which is another BPD, but not the same. Um, but when I looked at both disorders in the DDSM, they have very similar symptoms. People with BPD have an extensive pattern of extreme emotional reactions, a distorted sense of self, and an unstable relationships with others. Often people who are affected by this mental disorder will act out with dangerous behaviors or engage in some form, some form of self-harm, like cutting. Um, unfortunately, it... Over the years, BPD has received negative publicity in the media and sufferers can also be socially stigmatized by practitioners and psychiatric professionals. Therefore, it's also one of the most underdiagnosed mental health disorders. And as a result, 8 to 10 percent of the individuals affected by BPD wind up committing suicide. Well, it, it, and I can totally understand why, mm -hmm. like, like, like you said, because like if you're looking at anything uh, in media, like a, a TV show, a movie, mm -hmm. anybody who is bipolar, either one or two. Oh, yeah. Is automatically they got this the stigma that uh, we're crazy. Yeah, to totally <laughs> off the wall. Like it happens yeah. all the time type of bullshit. And that's just not the way that it works. No, right. no, no mental disorder. Right. You know, with the exception of like, you know, me being mentally retarded. Um is an all the time thing when you talk about like multiple personalities, schizophrenia, right? Uh, things like that. It's not an all the time thing. It's something that exists in you, right? And is often triggered. Yeah, and then yeah. there's a there, there, there's a uh, I'm trying to remember back from school. God damn it, uh, a trigger effect, but it's it's a, it, the, 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 there's a cause, right? There's a there, there there's a some form of stimuli mm -hmm. that activates that part of right. the neurosis, right? Right. That sounded almost like I knew what the fuck I was talking almost, about. Almost a little remember. bit. So, considering everything we've heard so far about Todd's early life unhealthy relationships with father figures, aggression towards others, cruelty to animals, unstable living situation, and more, I'm not surprised to learn he was diagnosed with bipolar, I mean, with borderline personality disorder. Not at all. So, when the judge read the report, what the psychologist stated, um, and the fact that they had also registered his IQ, I think, at like one. 18 or something like that, which is above average. He stated Todd was very bright and should be advanced academically. However, he was behaviorally and emotionally dangerous. Therefore, the chances of him being rehabilitated were less likely. Right before handing down the sentence, he also made this statement. At less than the age of nine, this juvenile was impulsive, explosive, and preoccupied with sexual content. He has not changed. He has been unabatedly aggressive to others and destructive of property since nursery school. Um, as Well, and I want to get back to something here. I mean, I did a little research, and I don't have it here. But to uh, 
biochemist from Germany and an English psychologist did a study. And that sounds like a bad joke. Like <laughs> no, a rabbi a and, and a think, priest walking into a bar. It was either 2010 or 2017. I can't remember exactly when. But they conducted a study to find out the... Because you know why they say average IQ is this, like 85 to blah, blah, blah? Right. Because IQ levels in different parts of the world are different. The average IQ is different. I noticed in the top 10 locations out of 148 locations worldwide, um, in the top 10, all but two or three were Asian countries. And the bottom 10 were all African countries or states or whatever. However, what I found amazingly funny was the U.S. wasn't even on the list until number 24. (laughs) So we're dumb. (laughs) We're not dumb, dumb, but we're not smart, smart either. Um, Jesus Christ. I know, right? That's good times. Good times. So anyways, he also apparently uh, turns out that uh, Todd's probation officer had something similar to say, which was included in the court documentation. However, he also added Todd, quote, felt the world owed him something. On the other hand, Todd's defense attorney for that early case later stated that when he was defending Todd, that in the future, he did not believe his client would go on to harm others. However, according to the pre-sentencing report, one of his neighbors described Todd as, quote, a devil on a chain. Other court records offer more detailed on the trouble, details on the troubled youth. He destroyed his bedroom with a hammer after it had just been remodeled. He told his mother he was going to kill her. And he forced a boy, and this kind of was funny to me too, but I shouldn't laugh about it because people are going to judge me. He forced a boy to get into a dog cage, locked it, and then rolled the kid around inside. Um, Which is something we would have done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you do that to sp- Phil? <laughs> no, but I used to make my, 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 my stepbrothers, Bobby and Clint, uh-huh. me and Phil would make them pray to the toilet god and put their heads into the toilet or uh, Santa Claus would not bring them toys. That's wrong. <laughs> In the end, Todd was sentenced to serve 15 years without the possibility of parole. In other words, the judge ordered him to serve the entire 15 years with no option for early release. Now, when Todd first arrived at the correctional facility and for several years after that, he consistently received violations, write-ups, or disciplinary reports for various infractions, some of which included violent behavior. However, shortly after he celebrated his 20th birthday and for the rest of his incarceration, there weren't any more violations on his record for disobedience. So it's like he grew up. it's, It's a person thing. Like, think about it. Like, I knew, like, during my, I would say, college years. Um, you were a hellion? I, I was, you know, like, okay, so. You were sowing your wild oats? That started when I was about 16, 17, the first time that I ever, you know, looked up with a chick. And after that, like. 24, what? Oh, you're such a dick. But after that, fucking, I was a hellion, man. I went out there. I was partying all the time. Just, yeah. you know, just living, living life. And. Because my, you know, and, and being that young, your head is still in your ass, but you don't realize it. And then I kind of grew up, and my, you know, and that's what I'm doing. He I was pulled, just saying, yeah, pulled his head out of his ass. Back when said, you're hey, a teenager, back when you know it all. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it, it, I think that's not just a guy thing. I think that's a person thing. It is There's, a person thing. There comes a point in your life where you just finally pull your head out of your ass, and you go, hey, maybe I need to not be doing this shit. Right. Exactly. 
So Todd was released from prison in, 2000, in August of 2001 after he served 14 years. Now, from what I could determine, he served the entire 15 years. He was housed in a prison facility for 14 with one year credit for time served that he served in county jail awaiting his trial. Oh, okay. That is standard procedure in most justice systems across the country. And after his release, he returned to South Carolina to live with his mother. But there was a period where he was still living in uh, Arizona. I'll get into that. Now... During the 14 years that Todd spent in prison, he took steps toward rehabilitation. For instance, he took college courses offered to the inmates through Central Arizona College. Before his release, he completed the required courses to graduate with a bachelor's degree in computer science. According to the reports I read, he worked for a company based in Spartanburg, South Carolina, as a graphic designer from January uh, 2002 through November 2003. Then in 2003, he enrolled in Greenville Technical College and transferred his education credits from Central Arizona College. He successfully graduated from GTC in 2008, earning a bachelor degree of a bachelor of science degree in business admin and marketing. He even met the terms of his sentence and parole by registering as a sex offender after moving to South Carolina. However, on June 30th, 2006, he still managed to obtain his real estate license being a registered sex offender because he lied on the application about having been convicted of a felony. Okay, hold on. I don't see anything wrong with that. And let me tell you why. Okay, don't hate me. I'm not going to hate you I'm any talking, more than I'm I do. I'm talking to our damn listeners. Oh. <laughs> All right. Politicians and cops lie constantly. And I love constantly. the cops. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I love law enforcement. Right. They, they've always you know, been decent to me. But so to sit there, this dude's just trying to further his career, and he lied to further his career. So, look, let's not point fingers at him. Right. It's oh not like God, he set he out lied. to commit crimes but by getting his, you know, real yeah, estate Yeah, he didn't license. say I'm going to get my real estate license and be a dick and, 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 and yeah. commit crimes. You know, so don't, don't sit there and judge so harshly, bastards. Yeah, you. You listening right now, you know who you, you are. are. You know, the one in that football beanbag eating the Cheetos. Yeah, <laughs> naked eating Cheetos. You know. <laughs> you know who you are. So once he was a certified agent, he opened his own real estate firm and hired approximately a dozen other agents to work for him. Now, over the 10 years that followed, Todd received recognition for being a top-selling real estate agent in the Carolina region. In fact, his agency, TKA Real Estate, was still going strong until he was arrested on November 3rd, 2016, at which time the firm officially closed its doors. And during that time, he also took courses to receive his private pilot's license, and he purchased and maintained many properties in other states. Now, in 2014, Todd purchased property in the secluded area nine miles outside of Moore, South Carolina, in a place called Woodford, South Carolina, I think is what it's called. Woodruff. Woodruff, thank you. Um, which is an unincorporated community in Spartanburg County. It's approximately 100 acres, acres of land, and according to the mortgage documents, he spent $305,000, yeah, $305,000, $305, you know what I mean. Doesn't matter how much you spent. Anyways, it was over three hundred thousand. It's like talking about you and I, your shoe fucking. Shut up. You which know is, expenses, which up. are about like eight grand a shoe. Shut up. Which, if that were here in the Pac Northwest, even in two thousand fourteen, you would only gotten a nice two story house in a middle class subdivision. <laughs> After he passed escrow, he erected a fence around the entire property to the tune of another eighty thousand dollars. He was erect. Now, one client Todd sold a house to later stated she remembered him being, quote, extremely outgoing and professional. However, she also stated that he would often talk about his firearms and sometimes suddenly use sexual innuendo during their conversations. She obviously has never spoken to you. 
You will do sexual innuendo in every aspect of your conversation. Hey, in your endo. You know what gets me is, though, it's you got me thinking before I even speak to you anymore because it's like, oh, my God, he's going to take it this way. He's going to make this joke. Yeah. Sometimes I take it that way. (laughs) Shut up. Then there were others who had a different opinion of him. For instance, the assistant of one agent that worked for Todd's firm, she stated he was, quote, angry and condescending towards her partner. A local banker in town who frequently worked with Todd said that he frequently watched pornographic movies, sometimes even watched them in his office at work. What's wrong with that? I know. They don't know you. Todd was also a regular customer at the Waffle House in Roebuck, South Carolina. Okay, you stop right no, there. No, wait. The waitresses there said that his behavior towards them was very disturbing. In fact, it became so bad that a male cook had to take Todd's order when he came in so the girls didn't have to have contact with him. This male cook stated that one server bothered by Todd's behavior was Megan Lee McCraw-Coxie, who later was one of Todd's victims. Oh, well, shitty. Yeah. But there ain't nothing wrong with going to a Waffle House, y'all. <laughs> I wish we had Waffle House here. Right? Way better than Denny's. I'm telling you. Now, let's see here. Um, oh, I almost lost my place. Now, on November 6th, Know your place, woman. A customer walked into Superbike Motorsports, a well-known motorcycle shop in Chesney, South Carolina. Chesney is approximately 29.5 miles north of Moore and 5 miles south of the state line of the Carolinas. More or less. Yeah. Rather than being greeted by employees of the shop, the customer arrived to find four people dead in various areas around the premises, each suffering from gunshot wounds. Autopsy reports indicated that each one had been shot since multiple times, according to this report, but I found out later each one had only had one shot to the head. Yep. They identified the victims as owner Scott Dean Ponder, service manager Brian Thomas Lucas, mechanic Chris Michael Shuby Sherbert, and bookkeeper Scott Ponder's mother, Beverly Elaine Guy. Now, when detectives processed the crime scene and conducted their investigation, they had some initial assumptions regarding the series of events, starting from when the shooter arrived to, you know, when he killed his last victim. According to them, the unknown gunman entered Superbike Motorsports through the rear entrance. From there, he encountered the mechanic, Chris. the rear entrance. Shut up. (laughs) Working on a motorcycle in the shop. That and then so he shot Chris first. Next, he entered the showroom area of the establishment where he shot and killed the bookkeeper, Beverly Guy, as she was running across the floor. The third victim was service manager Brian Lucas, and he was shot. He was he was trying to exit the building through the main entrance. And then finally, the gunman chased down Scott Ponder in the parking lot and shot him. Now, reports indicate that Scott's wife told the authorities later, after they found out it was Todd that had committed the crime, that he had been a disgruntled customer who had frequented the shop multiple times and was never satisfied. However, Todd's mother stated that Todd purchased a motorcycle from the shop and had some issues with it. And when he went back to the shop to return the bike, the victims just laughed and they mocked him by saying he didn't know how to ride a motorcycle and refused to issue him a refund. That's another thing that we're going to be talking to him about. Uh-huh, because trust me, the truth is stranger than fiction. Right. So in 2016, in August 2016, 32-year-old Charles David Carver, Charlie, and his 30-year-old girlfriend, Kayla Brown, were hired by Todd to clear, clear brush from one of his properties. They went over there to do the job on August 31st and never returned home. Authorities later determined that Charles had been shot multiple times somewhere on Todd's property. 
Although Charles and Kayla had been reported missing when they didn't return home, their disappearance made headlines when posts were made to Charles's Facebook page after nobody had physically heard from him for days. According to the reports, his friends and family stated the posts were, quote, unusual in nature, which led them to believe that he wasn't the one making them. Their suspicions intensified on October 1st when they saw another post allegedly from Charles with the following lyrics from Hotel California. Last thing I remember, I was running for the door. Sing it with me, Scott. I had to find the passage back to the place I was was before. before. Relax, Relax, said the ninth man. You are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. There you go. Okay. Anyways, approximately two months after Charles and Kayla disappeared on November 3rd, investigators and technical analysts on the case determined the GPS location of the couple's cell phones before they stopped transmitting. That led the authorities to Todd's property. Once they arrived, they heard what sounded like banging on metal. They followed the sound until they came to a metal storage container. The and they invest- found a bad drummer in there going, Man, I'm trying to get some practice in. <laughs> the investigators knew it wasn't an animal, so they broke the locks to open the container and found Kayla inside. Reports from the rescue say that she was, quote, chained to the wall like an animal. And as they were searching the rest of the property later, they discovered Charles' vehicle. It was pushed down into a ravine and covered with brush. Now, when investigators interviewed Kayla, she told them Todd made her watch as she shot shot Charles to death. And Todd's mother told them that her son only shot Charles because he had a really smart mouth, which angered Todd, which sounds to me like she was trying to justify her son's behavior by placing the blame on the victim. However, during Todd's confession, he told the authorities that he didn't murder Kayla and only held her captive because he didn't have a reason to kill her. She didn't do anything wrong, he said. Therefore, he didn't have a reason to harm her. However, according to the statement that Kayla gave shortly after she was rescued, Todd only shot Charles because he was mad at her. Now, Kayla was held captive by Todd for approximately 65 days. During that time, she stated he raped her multiple times. He also made sure she was too scared to attempt to escape by showing her where he had buried other people he had murdered. Now, once law enforcement officials were able to rescue Kayla, they conducted a... They started a two-day search. By the time they concluded their search, they recovered two additional bodies buried around the property, in addition to Charles's. The authorities later discovered they were a married couple from Spartanburg, 29-year-old Johnny Joe Coxie and his 26-year-old wife, Megan Lee McCroxie, the waitress I mentioned above. Now, a missing persons report was filed for both of them on December 22nd, 2015. According to reports, Todd had been looking for a couple of people to do some odd jobs around his property and hired them to do it. Autopsy reports determined Megan died from a gunshot wound to the head, and the coroner estimated her time of death was around December 25th to 26th, and Johnny's autopsy determined his cause of death was a gunshot wound to the torso. The coroner estimated his time of death was approximately seven days before hers. According to the medical examiner's reports, the authorities could identify the remains from the intricate tattoos each of them had. Now, the same day that the authorities found Kayla, they issued a warrant for Todd's arrest and apprehended him a short time later. During his interrogation, he made a full confession. However, before he did so, he had stipulations. He wanted to talk to his mother in person so that he could give her a picture that he had on his person. And he wanted the authorities to allow him to transfer money to a college friend that a friend had of his, a friend of his had set up for their child. Now, reports indicate before Todd confessed his crimes to investigators, he told his mother everything. He informed her he had committed the kidnappings and was, he was accused of, the murders the authorities were aware of, as well as a massacre at Superbike Motorsports. 
when he revealed, when Todd revealed to the authorities that he was the individual who had murdered Beverly Guy, Scott Ponter, Brian Lucas, and Chris Sherbert, he stated that he only shot each individual one time in the head. They knew he was telling the truth because that was a detail the case had never revealed to the media. I think that's why the media got the reports were wrong earlier. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because yeah. the most time I, I find that the that the uh, the mainstream media just guesses. Pretty much. And they go, must be true. Exactly. During the extensive search of Todd's property, law enforcement officials also recovered several weapons that he had buried around the acreage. A cache of weapons included some semi-automatic rifles, 9mm handguns with silencers, and a shit ton of ammunition for each one. When they ran Todd's name through the database of registered gun owners, they couldn't find it anywhere. That led them to speculate that he had gained them from someone illegally, which I will get into. When tech experts searched his computer and hard drive, they found something very interesting. However, I'll talk about that in just a moment. Now, not long after Todd was arrested, he told the authorities that he confided in his mother that there were more victims than what the law enforcement officials were aware of. Apparently, his mother asked him how many more, and he said, you don't have enough fingers. Now, then when he was being interrogated, he told the detectives that he was in Arizona when he shot somebody, killed them, and buried them. After Todd claimed to have a victim in Arizona on November 18, 2016, cold case detectives in Tempe Police Department combed through cold case files um, trying to corroborate his statement. They focused on open, unsolved homicides from 1983 to 1986 and August of 2001 to November 2001. So that was when he was living with his father and right after he was released from prison. Um, then the on November 25, 2016, the Greer, South Carolina authorities announced that they were investigating Todd as the prime suspect of interest in a cold case robbery where three people were killed at Blue Ridge Savings Bank. The bank robbery and the massacre at Superbike Motorsports occurred within six months of each other. According to the reports I found about this case, as of May 16th, 2018, they had yet to prove there was a link between Todd and this case, not to mention he has consistently maintained he had absolutely no involvement in it. Um, then... Uh, hey, Did you fart? No, I lost my place again. Oh, I thought you farted. I was strolling and I lost my Maybe place. Maybe pooped your pants no, or something. Uh, okay, so when Todd f f was arrested, he appeared in court for his first arraignment. That's when he initially only charged with one count of kidnapping for the Caleb Brown abduction case and four counts of murder for the mass shooting at Superbike. It wasn't until after that when he was arraigned on one more count of kidnapping and three counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. And then... Again, he was then he was charged with three more counts of murder, two counts of murder for the murders of the Coxie couple and one for Charles Carver. Now, the court scheduled Todd's next hearing for January 19th, 2017. However, for that hearing, his attorney had filed a motion to waive their right to appearance, which means they pretty much were letting the courts decide what to do. Rather than take his case to trial and put his fate in the hands of the jury and to avoid receiving the death penalty, Todd accepted a plea bargain. The terms of his plea bargain stipulated that in exchange for pleading guilty to all seven counts of murder and the kidnapping and the criminal sexual assault, Todd received seven life sentences with the possibility. Those seven life sentence terms are to run consecutively, though. So, during Todd's sentencing hearing, his defense counsel assured the court he only committed seven murders and all of his victims had been found. However, sorry, I had to move my head. I apologize. However, he has made multiple statements before and after reserving his life sentences that he murdered a minimum of two more people. Then again, he has never given law enforcement any details regarding those claims as of August of 2018. So, 
He's like, yeah, I did it, but I'm not going to tell you. It's a smart move. Yeah. Honestly. Well, and that's true. That's true. Um, now, this part I find is very hilarious. I found this so funny. As I was going through all the articles and reports about Todd's case, I came across something interesting that didn't come out until after he was arrested for murdering seven people and holding another one hostage for over two months. After Todd was released from the Arizona prison in 2001 and before he was arrested in South Carolina, um, he created an Amazon account. Now, this isn't something we would normally raise a red flag. After all, Amazon reports, they have over 200 million Prime members, and that doesn't include the non-Prime members. Now, after Todd was arrested for murdering seven people, the authorities found and the media discovered some interesting information about Todd's Amazon profile. Apparently, he liked to review various products. Again, not a red flag, because I used to be an influencer who reviewed products that were highly discounted or free. Okay. However, when you discover the products he was reviewing and the feed and read the feedback he posted, some believe those reviews were his way of taking pride in the murders he committed without coming out and telling anybody what happened. I actually read snippets and I will read some to you here in a minute. It said that Todd is said to have written, and I'll be honest, I thought they were funny. Yes, now that we know what he has done, I can see how some would find them disturbing. However, if I had read them before his arrest and details of his crime were revealed, I would have thought they were a joke and shared them all over my social media. Then again, Scott and I have been very vocal about the fact that we know we are disturbed individuals. Most people (laughs) know that Scott and I don't just co-host this podcast together. But I'm also his personal assistant. In other words, we work so closely with each other that sometimes we either finish each other's sentence or we seem to know what the other one's thinking. Well, hold on. Let me clarify a few things. The, we, we work so close, seriously, it's like an old married couple. Like, we get along most yeah, of the time. Yeah, my mom calls us uh, work wife, husband and wife. Yeah, and then there's, there's sometimes her and I argue because then all of a sudden me being the boss goes out the fucking window and we're just are bickering like we're two old married cu- <laughs> uh, you, know. you, Scott! Yeah, like we're, like, like we're an old married couple, you know. Yeah, and then ten minutes later, we're fine. Yeah, then, yeah, then, <laughs> then we're A-OK and, yeah. you know, business continues on. And then, you want to hear the fucked up part? Huh? I wouldn't hire anybody else to do your job. Because <laughs> nobody else would do it. <laughs> That's true. I would, I would get sued so fucking often because of my <laughs> mouth and just waking yeah. people up. And going, <laughs> I am an asshole. God damn. Now, I told all, said all this to say this one thing. I can totally see Scott leaving reviews for the same products and giving feedback with words very similar, if not identical to the ones Todd has said to have written. Before I get into the items... Todd left feedback for, I have a disclaimer. I will quote the review snippets verbatim from the articles I read. Therefore, these are not my words. So don't shoot the messenger. In other words, don't send me the hate mail, okay? I'll get it anyway. I know, right? You probably encouraged him to write those horrible things. He didn't even know you, but you did it. Yeah, Todd didn't even know me then, dude. Yeah, according to Amazon, the display name for these reviews was simply me. However, when you dug further and accessed Me's public wish list, it was for Amazon member named Todd Colet and could be traced back to his IP address. Reports indicate Todd reviewed approximately 140 products from May through September 2014. He began posting his feedback within a few months of purchasing the 100-acre property. Now, Todd purchased and reviewed a wide variety of items. Some would some items would probably fall under the category of survival, including shovels, tactical vests, weapon mounts, gun magazine pouches, taser guns, carabiner, carabiners, car- carabiners. Thank you, and emergency medical kits. Others might be classified as home improvement: heavy-duty chains, chainsaws, padlocks. He also posted reviews for dog toys, electronic products, a Walking Dead 
DVD set, music, and books on the following subjects. Repelling snipers and emergency war surgery. So Southern crap. Yeah, that, <laughs> seriously, that's that's, yeah. that's just good old boy shit right there. Yeah, Don't be, be judging him on the shit that he no, bought, y'all. No, so below are some of the snippets from the items he supposedly reviewed. And if I didn't know better, I would say Scott actually wrote the third one, if not all of them. Okay? Oh, here we go. Number one, heavy-duty chain. Useful when neighbor acts out. That's it. Next was for a padlock. Solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down until they're too old to care. (laughs) This is the one that I swear to God you wrote, and I swear to God we're going to get hate mail over this one. But again, I did not write this. Todd did. Folding shovel. Keeping car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full-size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay? I'm starting to really think that Todd and I are kindred spirits I'm now. telling you. Wait, it gets better. <laughs> now, next product, chainsaw. Works excellent. Getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase him with it is hard enough without having an easy-to-use chainsaw. Number, the next product? Todd a, told me about that one. Ta- a taser gun. It's blacker than my soul and priced right. <laughs> next one is a five-inch knife. Haven't stabbed A1 yet, yet, but I'm keeping the dream alive. And when I do, it will be with a quality tool like this. Now, next set of padlocks. <laughs> now my locks have locks. Place is Hotel California now. <laughs> then a rechargeable stun gun. And this I can see you writing too. Seriously trying to find a reason to zap one of my agents for being lazy. It's going to be the new office motivational tool. <laughs> see? See, I like how this man thinks. I like how he thinks. Yeah. Oh, and this one too. Now, although I could have probably wrote this one, um, a padlock with a hidden shackle works great. Also, if someone talks back, go old school on them by putting in a sock and beating them. They will not appreciate the hardened steel like you will. <laughs> right? So as of November 2016, all of the reviews for the products were removed by Amazon with the exception of the padlock. The first one, it was for a master padlock, high security. Um, however... On January 30th, 2023, when I tried looking for it, I couldn't find the review. Oh, so bummer. I think they took Amazon, it down. come on. So, however, I will have a link on our blog. So if you do find that review, email it to me. Because <laughs> we have some listeners out there that will find stuff for us. That is true. Hey, I can't remember what that guy's name was who sent me the... Um, I got it right here. Oh, I, His name I feel, was... bad. I feel bad about forgetting. Oh, no, no. Hang on. But yeah, he he sent uh, he sent me the uh, uh, the recipe for Otis Tools uh, human yeah, barbecue Brian sauce. Brian Ingle from California, the yeah, Central man. Sacramento area. And hopefully you're still listening. Thanks again, Brian. Yeah, Dude, that, that was awesome. I still read your email, and then I read I, I I see what you sent me, and I still laugh. It makes my day. It does. It really does. It does. Now we talked about Todd acquiring the weapons illegally, right? Apparently. Todd wasn't the only individual involved with this case. He had an accomplice of sorts, not with the murders or the confinement of Caleb Brown, but Dustin Lawson, in a roundabout way, knew Todd was he was his accessory in a roundabout way. Dustin knew Todd was a convicted felon and prohibited from purchasing, owning, and or having received weapons, specifically anything to do with firearms. Despite the illegality of the situation, he willingly and knowingly purchased many guns and various silencers that muffled the sound of a gunshot. Because of his actions, after Todd was arrested on murder charges, Dustin was detained and charged with several dozen federal firearms charges. When he was interrogated, he told the authorities that in a four-year period, he legally purchased 12 guns and approximately five silencers. However, he told them it was for his own use. 
So he, I believe him. Yeah. He ended up uh, accepting a federal plea bargain in 2018 in return for pleading guilty to 36 firearm charges associated with the Culhep case. He received a prison sentence of 99 months, which is eight years and three months. And he's due. His original release date was set for November 12, 2024. But as of right now, he is in the residential reentry management program in Raleigh in Butner, North Carolina, and with a release date of January 29th, so just the other day. So you know what he's singing? Oh, oh! as of January 29th, 2023, his scheduled release is November 13th, 2023. What? He, he's singing this right here. I got 99 months and a cohep ain't one. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> now, Todd was actually sued by um, family members. Oh, uh, let me get to this first. On Sunday, December 23rd, 2017, um, the authorities received a call from a woman's husband saying he'd found his wife dead. When they responded, they discovered the deceased woman was seven-year-old Regina Ann Tegg, Todd's mother. After investigating, they determined there was no evidence to suggest her death resulted from foul play. Um, and then his, uh, his belongings were placed up for auction in, 20, in August of 2020, and the money made from the sale of those items was split between the family members of the victims and Caleb Brown for their lawsuits. He was, he was sued for wrongful death uh, by some family members of the Superbike Motorsports and uh, Charlie's parents. Um, and what I found really interesting, and I'm not going to get into a whole lot of it, but um, Melissa Brackman was pregnant with Scott Ponder's son when he was murdered. So Scott Ponder Jr. never knew his father. Yeah, I saw an interview with her. Yeah. And however, when she took the stand to address Todd, she said, Mr. Kolhep, I forgive you. I hurt not only for my son, but my heart hurts for you as well. It no longer makes me angry. It makes me sad. I miss Scott Ponder every day of my life. I am always going to wonder what my life would have been like if he had the opportunity to raise our son. I pray for you and all of us who have been affected by your actions. And the only memory 16-year-old uh, Scott Ponder Jr. had at the time of his father was, were what people shared with him, you know? Right, because he died before he was born. Yeah, and so he actually took the stand, too, and told Todd he forgave him. Wow. And Charlie's parents addressed Todd, and Charles Carver's dad, Charles... Um, stated that he and Charlie's siblings had been in therapy since they found out their loved one was dead. However, he also said it's been very hard on us. And then Joanne Shiflett, Charles's mother, said that she and Charlie had a very close relationship from the time he was born. He was like her best friend. And she did go on to say that she told Todd she no longer felt any hate toward him, but she wasn't quite ready to forgive him for murdering her son. But she did say, I pray that you can find peace and you can find some serenity. That's fair enough. It I mean, is. That's fair enough. Yeah. You know, at least they're not. I mean, because no matter what they do, no amount of money that they sue him for will ever bring their loved one back. Yeah, that's true. You know, so it's not for people to continue to hold on to that hate ultimately hurts them even more because the person who did it really is not affected by it anymore right no totally you know what i mean and then of course kayla sued for um filed a lawsuit for um wrongful imprisonment wrongful yeah wrongful and false imprisonment and saying that mr call maliciously intent and intentionally held miss brown against her will inside the storage container for a period of more than two months and he negligently carelessly recklessly and wantonly caused injury to miss brown in that in that among other things 
defendant forcibly kidnapped and imprisoned her, threatened and actually committed physical assault and battery upon her person, and intentionally and negligently inflicted severe emotional distress upon her. Now, she originally sued for 600 and some odd million dollars, and she was awarded 6.3 million. So, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then, I mean, her story wasn't over either because, I mean, in 2019, her fiance committed suicide by stabbing himself in the chest and while they were trying to save his life he went into cardiac arrest and died and then in um july of 2019 she was with another guy and they got into a disagreement over something stupid and got into a fight and were both arrested for domestic violence but those charges were dropped don't get too far into kayla because todd and i touched on that and i would rather no, uh, I mean, I, I have it in the blog. I have that. it in the blog, so I'm not going to get into it now because we're short on time. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's just a bizarre case. Bizarre, Very. bizarre, bizarre. But. Is that all you got? That's all I got. All right, boys and girls. Remember, you can send us an email at brutalnation at twistedbluellc.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. This show is copyrighted 2022, or I'm sorry, 2023, by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and if you're hearing this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying. David Bastard. It's not theirs. Nothing. Mine. All mine. That's my red cup. <laughs> we will see you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.